passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. A very busy night. How are you, Wei? I'm doing all right, John. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit tired, not going to lie, but uh, I'm doing good otherwise. Oh, well, that's uh, that's good to hear. I'm yeah. Pretty, I'm pretty exhausted myself, so maybe, uh, maybe the show won't be that great. <laughs> yeah, turn it off now. We're it's going to be awful. Listen to some other other podcasts. Like this is just this is not going to be a good one. I have yeah. a feeling. Go listen to them. Um, we're going to sign off. Dynamite had a good promo. That's it. That's my review. All right. Did you uh, review Dynamite in one sentence way? Hmm. Okay. Um, wrestling. That's not a review. That's a statement. Okay. So uh, <laughs> stupendous. Okay, that's uh all right. That's that's more of a of a review, I guess. All right. I mean, well, you try it. Like one word, it's, that's really tough. I said MJF had a great promo. That's not one word. I said There's one five. sentence. I gave you a sentence. Oh, sentence. Okay. Yes. I was giving you some leeway. I don't expect you to have to just reduce things to one word. Hmm. Anyway, uh lots to talk about tonight. Lots of news coming out of Dynamite, lots of news coming out in the world of wrestling. Uh but before we get into all of that, I do want to uh alert everybody to our latest edition of Rewind Away that dropped on Tuesday night. Uh the fanfare has just been uh, overwhelming for WrestleMania 27, a show that turned 11 years old this year from the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Georgia. A show largely saved by The Undertaker and Triple H, and not so much from Jerry Lawler and Michael Cole. But we spent about two hours uh, going through this show, chatting with Mahmoud El Marty, our espresso executive producer from halfway across the world. And by the end of this review, he said, you know what? I'm coming over to the United States right now. As we may be speaking, uh, he might be just landing in in the U.S. Yeah, a globetrotting uh, espresso executive producer of a mood. But yeah, he chose WrestleMania 27 and he immediately regretted it after watching it himself because he realized that, yeah, this unfortunately is not one of the better WrestleManias. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing to talk about because, there, in fact, there is plenty to talk about between the two matches that you mentioned, John. And also, of course, this was when The Rock made his return to host the show. And, um, you know, we'll we'll discuss how it may have impacted, benefited, or maybe decreased attention towards the Miz versus John Cena in the main event. So, 
plenty to discuss as well. Uh, Edge's last match before his first retirement against Alberto Del Rio, and also dashing Cody Rhodes wrestling Rey Mysterio in Atlanta, no less. So uh, lots to talk about on this podcast. I encourage you all to check it out. Yes, as always, we go into the uh, the various news of uh, of that particular week leading into WrestleMania and, of course, uh, all that surrounded uh, WrestleMania weekend. So there you go. Uh, check it out. PostWrestlingCafe.com is where you can join and uh, listen to that. And we will be back this uh, Friday night with Rewind, a SmackDown. On top of that, your post-daily news updates go live every weekday at 1 Eastern. Today, we had Benno on the show to chat about Ring of Honor's 20th anniversary, which occurred on Wednesday, uh, going into uh, Ring of Honor, essentially from day one, and the many changes the company has undergone. It has been a uh, quite the road over the past 20 years of where they arrive at now. So uh, a great chat, as always, with Benno from Grapple and the British wrestling experience and discussing all the the latest news as well. But let a few hours go away. Brand new cycle of news to discuss. What happened? Catch us up. Well, we, we had quite a bit on uh, on tonight's Dynamite. Uh, but separate from that, uh, we had the announcement that not just Timothy Thatcher, but John Moxley are going to be involved in Josh Barnett's Bloodsport on March the 31st. So we'll get to see uh, uh, Tough Timmy. Fantastic. Post, post NXT run. Returning Fantastic. to uh, the independent scene and will be part of Bloodsport. And, uh, you know, John Moxley, that's, that's always, you know, so, something of significance. I think having a Moxley level of attraction as, as part of your uh, Bloodsport event. And, and to see him get to res- wrestle a slightly different style, you know, I mean, sure. we, we all know how great of a brawler he is. And, I mean, within Bloodsport, I mean, he largely kind of sticks to some of that. But, I mean, he also trains a lot of MMA and uh, it's a chance for him to 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 do some of that, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see who either of them are going to face. You know, for me, Timothy Thatcher is probably the more interesting one because, um, has he been wrestling? Has he been doing no. much of anything? No, no I I okay. think this is like the first uh, dates that uh, that he has had announced since his release, if I'm correct. Yeah, and I think you know anybody coming off of a WWE run where where they were released, and I I feel like they they. They tend to come back with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, and so a bit, a bit of a extra attention is going to, going to be put on uh, put on Timothy Thatcher, who I believe has already you know participated in prior blood sports. But I mean, it's a style that's really tailor made for him. So uh, I, I definitely look forward to that show. There's also this video that is that is circulating um, from this uh, this interviewer, the the official Jared Myers YouTube channel, and. This guy, Jared Myers, got to chat with one Jeff Hardy at one of his recent concerts and on this video, which is like several days old, but uh, I think it's only getting uh, kind of attention today, it seems like. Uh, and on this video, I um, mean, Jeff Hardy makes it pretty clear he's he's going to AEW. And I don't know if he realizes he is being filmed here, but it's because uh, he's not he's not really speaking to the camera, but maybe it was uh, the style they were going for here. But I mean, it's. That's what comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'll be clear. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. I haven't really um, gotten into it. I mean, it looks like I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm literally scrubbing through it right now because I've only seen the portion that everybody's talking about. But I'm scrubbing through the opening and it looks like the, I mean, he's well aware that there's a camera on him. <laughs> but the, the, unfortunately, no microphone. And if you've ever been backstage at a concert or anything like that. Um, it's very faint. <laughs> like, it's very hard to, to make this out. But uh, it's... Uh... But well, you do clear clearly hear the words, I'm going to AEW. Um, I'm so excited. So um I I you know, 
this is hardly an, an official announcement, but at, at least there's there's definitely more than you know something to it. Yeah, and I mean, like the teases have been there. I don't think this is uh, shocking anybody either. Um, uh, but but there you go. There's a, a video that is circulating, and then uh, as well, worth noting uh, that going into tonight's show, uh, Tony Khan and uh, Tony Schiavone uh, got together for one of their. Uh, uh, an ode to their uh, their past uh, impact commercial spots and did a did a promo for dynamite tonight and Tony Khan noting that he is working very hard on this this deal he is putting together that was uh, teased last week and states that he cannot put a date or time on it like he could with the first dance but is positioning it as uh, something big that'll be great for for the wrestlers and great for everyone uh, but obviously very vague and uh, Tony Khan is a uh, very good with his uh, his teases of a uh, big big things coming, and that's what uh, is being hinted at here. Which it, it, this sounds much less of a signing and more so uh, some kind of deal that is being structured. Was it not last week when he was teasing something for this week on B- Busted Open? He was saying that he is working on something big. He doesn't know when he will have it done. He's hoping to have it done next week, but he didn't. Oh, yeah. He didn't state that it was like completed or even that it would be revealed this week. Um, and okay. In this promo, it's just it's coming. Way it's, Are we sim- <laughs> this is the I mean, Vera Mahan of announcements. Clearly, you know, like teasing something coming, teasing something big has worked out for Tony Khan and, and you know, uh, dynamite ratings in the past. And at this point, are we simply going to keep something lingering as a, a potential surprise that can happen at any moment? Yes. Like, l- listen, this is what promoters are supposed to do. They are supposed to create hype and anticipation and always have you excited for something like that. That's what the role is. And Tony Khan is one. But that you also likes- have to deliver. You know, and 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 I mean, it, 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 and I think AEW has been successful with their teases so far because they have delivered. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 awaiting to see what this one could be. Um, so let's let's get into the the show itself because there, there was a lot to this uh, two hour show. Immediately, we kick things off with the tag team battle royal uh, with a spot at stake at the Revolution pay-per-view in the three-way. So we've got the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, Santana and Ortiz, FTR, The Best Friends, Butcher and the Blade, Private Party 2.0, Silver and Reynolds, and the Gun Club. They have a lot of tag teams, dude. There are a lot of talented teams, and when you see them all together in the ring, you it hits you in the head of just, like, the depth here that they have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite honestly, they don't get to put a whole lot of uh, emphasis on, on a lot of these these teams. Like, in FTR, it was, like, welcome to see them in something extended like I, th- I thought tonight was like the most we have really gotten to see like Kyle O'Reilly get to just go in the the like last five ten minutes of this match it's very true yeah I mean by far the deepest tag team division I think in all the professional wrestling and um uh there's only so much airtime unfortunately uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy are out with Christian Cage so they're watching from the the stage uh, the rules of this are that both members of the team have to be eliminated. So uh, we're having some eliminations early. The best friends lured in the butcher, sent him over. There was a dragon screw by Fish delivered to Chuck Taylor, and then a boot by Kyle O'Reilly. At one point, Matt Hardy saved the boot Isaac- to the Canadian. Huh? That's right the the boot the boot from the Canadian. It was to Taylor, but yes, uh, Matt Hardy then saved Cassidy, propped him up, and then he's knocked down by a silver Inzaguri. And Matt is doing the delete chant, 
which he had done during the elevation tapings before they went live. And so the crowd was already kind of uh, tuned to do the delete chants. And then we'd see Matt later in the night doing the, the delete. So he just walks off again after private party is eliminated and abandons them. Santana then sends Matt Lee and Jeff Parker over. The Bucks eliminate Ortiz, and Santana goes for a Cabrada and is hit with a double super kick upside down by the Young Bucks. Uh, they had a nice face off with the Bucks and FTR, and the crowd reacted big. This crowd in Bridgeport, I mean, they were they were pretty amped throughout most of uh, the episode. Totally agree. Yeah, and. So O'Reilly and Fish then interject here. FTR tosses Nick Jackson out, and it comes down to the final six here. This is after uh, Tully is trying to assist Cash Wheeler, and John Silver reverses, sending Cash over the top ropes. So our final six are O'Reilly, Trent, Santana, Matt Jackson, Silver, and Dax Harwood. And I just thought O'Reilly looked awesome in here. He had this uh, sequence with John Silver. That was a lot of fun. And then him and Dax Harwood, um, they were great together in this match. And then this was one of my favorite parts of the match was Santana and Trent just had this stare down. And dude, this crowd, they instantly understand and remember the history and the parking lot brawl. And they it takes them like three seconds and then they all go nuts because of the the history. And I think that's just awesome when your your crowd in the arena without any prompting from the announcers immediately know what this means and the callback to a match that happened like a year and a half ago. I was honestly a little surprised. That, you know, simply, I mean, they, I think anytime you do one of these, it's a bit of a risk. I mean, depending on how popular and how much talked about perhaps the feud is, anytime you do a stare down, um, you're relying on the audience to remember. And I, I, I guess I, I, I underestimated how much people remember this parking lot brawl as a significant moment in both of these teams' careers. And it really was when you think about it, but. Oh, then- it was, it was an unbelievable, like one of, to me, one of the best main events in Dynamite's history, but we see so many of them mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're talking like a significant amount of time too. And yeah. th- this crowd, like they all reacted big to this. Yes, or at least did. enough of them reacted that it felt like uh, most of the arena. What is the limit, would you say, like of of people who could pull off a, a bit like this, you know, looking at each other without saying anything and relying on the crowd to recognize and react? What's the limit? Like yeah, like, I mean, how? No, I mean, like, how small of a feud can they possibly attempt something like this with and actually get a, a, a significant reaction? Well, if they had a uh, Brandon Cutler and Peter Avalon uh, cross paths, oh, that would once work. Again, I think I um, think that would work. On I think it would too. So I don't know. I don't dark. know what the limit is. Um, so Trent and Santana fight on the edge until Matt Jackson and O'Reilly boot them off. So they're gone. Uh, huge Johnny Hungy chance. He was incredibly popular. And then we get more of Dax and O'Reilly. They battle on the edge. And then Bobby Fish, who had been eliminated, sneaks up to nail Dax. And he's gone. Silver powers up, but he's caught with a super kick. And together, Matt Jackson and Kyle O'Reilly come together for uh, super kicking the dragon. Yeah. No? Okay. Hmm. Kyle O'Reilly is selling his shoulder. And he tells Matt to go after Silver. And he got, does. He goes to toss Silver out, and then O'Reilly comes from behind and throws out Matt. Uh, this one about 20 minutes or so. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly wins, and Red Dragon are one of the uh, teams that will be challenging Luchasaurus and Jungle's, Jungle Boy at the pay-per-view. But I, I thought this was like a pretty entertaining battle royal, and especially when it got down to the final six. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, the match only really started, you know, once we got down to the final six, because otherwise it's it's usually just a bit of a scramble of bodies and, you know, um, I unless it's a Royal Rumble style where I think you get the allure of, like, seeing surprise entrance from time to time, Battle Royals are, I mean, they're just kind of like, um, you know, it is sort of insignificant to me until until you get to the end. And, and that's how this kind of felt to me. You know, I, I, I thought ultimately it was a, a good way to drive continued descent between the Bucks, Bucks and Red Dragon. Like you mentioned, Kyle O'Reilly definitely stood out here. So, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, as a way to start Rampage, were you surprised that they went here rather than, you know, the what they they used to they seem to be doing with like, you know, the hottest hotter singles singles match? Yeah, I think it's I think it's always worth you, you try different things like this did have like the star power of the Bucks immediately. And yeah, we'll see. Like this is this is a number this week where I think a lot of people are going to be focused to see if last week was just a blip or um or, or if it is something m- more sustained than that. And and a lot of times it's going to come down to, you know, the, the strength of your lead in. But at the same time, holding that audience uh, throughout the show. And this at least started it with, you know, a, a battle royal that did have some stakes attached to it. And you did have some stars in, in the match as well. So, so what is the next week's battle royal going to be? The casino battle royal. Oh, so so that's going to be one with different entrances and different. Um, yeah, groups. where we'll have the groups entering. But it's the same people. Well, we we saw that like the Bucks are re-entering next week, and I mean this this was a huge portion of your tag division, so I'd imagine we're going to see a lot of repeats uh, in the match next week. Okay, interesting. Hmm. The Young Bucks were pissed as Red Dragon and the Young Bucks argued afterward, and then Hangman Page's music played, and he comes down and attacks Fish and O'Reilly. Adam Cole appears from behind, and he goes for a super kick, but Page catches him, and he goes for a buckshot lariat. Fish and O'Reilly pull Cole to the floor, and then John Silver returns with a senton off the apron to Red Dragon, and O'Reilly stumbles into the ring where he is the one that gets nailed with the buckshot lariat. So a pretty hot post-match here with Paige's involvement um, coming essentially to uh, back up the Young Bucks here and kind of uh, draw attention to that and then set up this uh, promo segment after it. Part of me kind of wishes it was like Fish that took that buckshot, you know, just because like I, I think Kyle looked so good coming off of the the battle royal. He was the one who won the battle royal that, you know, that to at least give him a bit of that luster coming out of it and, and through through the week, at least might, might have been a bit better to me. And Fish is, I think, sort of like the default um, fall guy of the team. But whatever, it, it, it's fine. You know, it's, this feud, I think, is is on a good path. If you go back and watch O'Reilly on the aisleway after taking the buckshot and his facial expression selling that move, it was pretty tremendous. Okay, so worth it then. Uh, w- w- worth it for that visual, I thought. But Page takes the microphone and says, who's ready for story time with Adam Page, baby? And he goes back to 2008 when a smug prick named Adam Cole entered the industry and would become a champion everywhere he went, and now he has come to AEW for his title, and he doesn't realize that he's walking closer and closer to a six-foot hole, and he t- and he took one step too close to the grave, and then the better Adam laid him down in it, and the world will listen to the sound of his spine hitting the dirt from a freshly cocked buckshot, and that sound was boom. Colson, hmm. very disturbed by this story. Me? No, Adam Cole. 
Oh, oh, sure. Yeah, he's talking talking about his death. That is scary. That's a stipulation for revolution. You should you should really establish that stipulation if this is like to the death. Or buried alive. You know. Through 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 death. <laughs> I mean I mean that, that kind of coincides with death usually, but not in pro right. wrestling. Pro wrestling yeah. that just means a three month vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, cool, you, cool promo. Sure. Shivani is with uh, Brian Danielson, and he says that Daniel Garcia reminds him of a young version of himself, vicious and violent, but I had a great mentor in William Regal, and he's hanging out with 2.0. Imagine if he trained with someone like me or John Moxley. He'd be at a different level, and I'm going to show him what that difference is tonight, and after I face Garcia, I will give John Moxley his answer. Uh, so this was going to be the main event, which did not get announced until uh, late in the day. So this was one of those dynamites where they uh, did not uh, they did not advertise the main event match um, w- with much lead time. Yeah, yeah, which is um, kind of unlike the the show, but you know, uh, we'll see how it did. And then out comes MJF, and he is being drowned out by chance of CM Punk. And he brings up the photograph that Punk referenced last week and said how for Punk, it was just another Friday, but it wasn't another Friday for him. At one point, a lot of you fans may not realize, but what got me out of bed in the morning was professional wrestling. I loved wrestling. I love AEW. And in 2007, I was 11 years old and I had severe ADD. And the one good thing I was uh, that I was good at was football. And I made the football team at my school. I finally fit in. And the next day I'm walking the halls when I see some of my teammates. And they looked angry. And they all had rolls of quarters and proceeded to throw them at me as hard as they could. And then mocking him for being Jewish and got him to cry. And he went home and he cried. But then he realized... It's Friday, and I get to go meet my hero, CM Punk, tonight. And he made a promise after he met CM Punk at that autograph signing that he would be just like him and become the best in the world. And then we go to December of 2013. MJF has gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. He's got football scholarships, but all he wants to do is be a pro wrestler. He studies tapes. He practices promos in the mirror for hours and hours. And one month later, January 2014, you leave me. I went to college. I quit on my dreams. I buried my happiness until one day seeing a photo of you shaking Brian Danielson's hand on Instagram. And I was livid that you left. And I promised that I was now going to become the best in the world in spite of you, punk. And I promise to the kids at home that are being bullied now that I will not quit like you did on me. I will fight you, punk, in this dog collar match, but I will not quit because then I would be no better than you. Dude, this guy is in tears by the end of this. Um, of the, the pantheon of MJF performances, this one is going to rank exceptionally high yeah completely agreed yeah um it was a very unexpected direction that he took this program tonight 
you know, we're we're so used to MJF, of course, coming out and cutting scathing promos on the city that he's wrestling in or his opponents. Um, he came out here and and basically gave us, you know, if you this was your first episode watching Dynamite and you hadn't seen MJF before, you would think that he was the biggest babyface on, on this show because it was um incredibly captivating and incredibly uh sympathetic, you know um. I I heard at least from a, a mutual um uh, one of one of our contributors who who is Jewish and and happened to completely like feel like MJF was telling their life story going through um a lot of the same traumas that that he went through and um it it almost like it was so good that it almost had me a little concerned at at the start because I I was. I was hope like I was expecting the swerve as I think we all were right. Anytime NJF, you know, a, a heel like him takes us towards this direction. But at least this week it didn't come. Like I, I, I was concerned that he, he was going to use all of this to, to, to feel trivial by the end, but it didn't, um, you know, maybe eventually, of course it's, it's all leading to the program, but, but at least tonight he's definitely doing his best to think that he was, you know, telling the truth. And I, I don't doubt that he was, what I love the most, though, was seeing Punk come out and seeing his reaction and him being concerned that, hey, is my enemy actually like, you know, being serious? Like, am I somehow the source of like all of this, this terrible behavior that's that's been coming from him? Um, so it's a level of death that I, I certainly wasn't expecting this program to get into. I, I think this was like a really fascinating segment for, for many reasons. Number one is that. Had this just been revealed as bullshit at the end of this segment, I think it would have just been um, like like it was almost too great of a promo to just have the just kidding at the end of it that mm-hmm. I thought it was so much stronger by coming out of this. You're left with that like that is you are CM Punk at the end of this segment where Punk comes out and is asking, is this true? And MJF just says it is true. And he leaves and the camera is on MJF and you're watching. It's like, is there going to be a smirk? Is there going to be any kind of sign? And you're left with this. Either this is this really heartfelt story where it's very hard to um, have anything but sympathy for this despicable character or this is this guy lying. And then it's like, what a what an awful manipulation of your of your fans. I thought either direction um that that's compelling stuff to me. Like that's a really like level of depth that we don't often get with a program like this, where I think many people thought here's a, here's a program that's clearly working. It's clicking on all levels. We're going into this violent match. MJF is just going to bleed buckets and get his comeuppance at the end. And now it just seems like it's, it just takes on um, a different level of significance. And I can't quite put my, my finger on it, but I'm really compelled by it. I, I thought that this was just a, another home run segment in a series of the like last week was incredible. And this was another one. So, so I completely agree with you on, on all of those points. How do you think the follow up on this and, 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 and in what way like would a CM Punk respond and, and how do they get from this, you know, to us wanting to see them beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, I think for certain, like next week has to be like a punk promo and it can't be last week's promo. That's just promising violence uh, on this, this individual. Like it has to be, I think punk almost has to be in the role of this guy that is taking this person at their, at their word, even though all his past actions should be the opposite uh, of it. 
And maybe it's it's like Punk having to like justify the fact that that's awful, but my my life choice to take care of my my life and leave an industry that had corrupted me, um, I I cannot bear um the guilt that you're putting on me on, on top of it. Like you can go in many different directions here, but it's also one that has to lead to a very violent match in theory at, at the pay per view. So, I mean, you could do what is maybe the most expected and. You know, there's some little clue in MJF's promo that where he leaves, like something doesn't add up that he mentioned that is um, called out on that exposes the story Um, or or we're left like this is like it's a more difficult story to tell. But like all of this is true and you're you're left conflicted here like you you are rooting for punk. But this is a very sympathetic story that you can get behind. It really is. Yeah. It, 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 because I think, you know, uh, so many people I'm assuming have been able to identify with it and um, feel, feel it. I, I think it would be really cheap to just simply, you know, do the path. Gotcha guys last week, you know, next week um, and, and just kind of go back to, you know, status quo for MJF. So um, I, I, I love the idea, though, that like this, this is real very much for MJF. And, and these traumas are I mean, this was essentially his super villain origin story that he told tonight. Um, So I would love it if they'd be able to find a way to retain that as part of the character, as part of the feud, while at the same time somehow making both men justified in wanting to beat the shit out of, out of each other. Yeah. And especially like I think regardless, this it does lay the groundwork that there will be a time that this guy is going to be the biggest baby face in this company. Oh, no doubt. So I, I thought this was just a phenomenal segment uh, mm-hmm. involving these two. Shivani is with Garcia and 2.0 and Leon Parker take issue with Danielson's uh, critique of them as, as trainers. And Garcia says, I don't need a lesson in violence, uh, continuing to set up tonight's main event. Malachi black and Brody King against pack and Penta with the his updated look as they he comes out in the black mask that had been introduced in the uh in the feature two weeks ago. And the way he was identified was was Penta Oscuro, which is Penta Pentagon Dark mm-hmm. in Spanish. Yeah, so, similar character he portrayed in um Lucha Underground and they com- basically complete said complete with like Alex Abrahantis here playing the role of Vampiro. Right. Yeah. I, I. They basically said, yeah, this is, uh, you know, the dark, the 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 more de- demonic version of, of Pentagon carry on. I, I would assume the same lineage from other promotions. Yeah. Abrahantis is in the whole like priest get up um, from uh, that Vampiro war for, for the match with uh, with with Pentagon. And they bring a shovel to the ring and they start on the fo- floor pack. It's a 450 to Malachi Black. We go through the break. There is a spot where. Brody King lifts Pack onto the shoulders of Penta, chops Pack, and forces him to give a poison Rana to Pentagon. Which this is crazy timing because this just happened to me the other day when I was on the street and I ended up uh, knocking someone onto the the other guy's shoulders, <laughs> and then I chopped him, and the guy f- did a whole poison Rana right there on the street. It was crazy. Somehow the ropes, John, and the bounciness of of that ring like affects physics in a in a weird way. Where I mean, you drag a guy's arm into those ropes, they bounce back full force. I mean, who knows? D- these guys inadvertently created the ultimate counter to the Doomsday Device. I mean, how did all those people take those clotheslines and not have uh, this counter ready? 
Right. You're right. Sure. Um, it was must have been some special chop for Brody King here. Pack saved Penta from Dante's Inferno, and then they're setting up for the Fear Factor into the foot stomp, but uh, Malachi Black uh, goes to spray the Black Mist, but before he can get it out of his mouth, Penta covers up his mouth and then rolls up Malachi for the win, and Jim Ross is suggesting that Malachi Black has swallowed the Black Mist. Yeah, always a danger. You're going to miss somebody. So... After the match, after the loss, uh, King attacks both of them, and then Black knocks Abrahantis down and gets the shovel. And he is he is selling the effects of this uh, this black goo that has gone down into his uh, digestive system, and lifts the shovel over the throat of Penta when the lights go out, and when they come on, Buddy Matthews is in the ring. Big pop for his arrival, and they refer to the history between Black and Matthews in the past. He's circling around. He's staring down Malachi Black, but then he attacks Pac and Penta. Brody King wipes out all of the security members on the floor, and then Black has Buddy curb stomp Penta onto the chair, and Black just puts his arms around the updated version of the House of Black that now have three members, and when the lights go out again, they come on, and Pac is the one is down, and Penta, uh, I guess, recovered from this curb stomp. He's the one checking on Pac. Yes, yes, yeah. A lot happened here. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Um, feels like every week we're, we're getting a, a bit of a new debut here, and this week it was Buddy Murphy, yeah. Um, first of Matthews all... Matthews now, I don't th- I think M- Murphy has been retired. You're right, you're right, yeah. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't retire Buddy as well, because I, I, if I had my way and I, I could get a fresh start, I think I'm taking like i'm getting rid of buddy first instead of murphy neither of those names are really that cool um but you know he it looks like he's he's going to be buddy murphy here and and or sorry <laughs> buddy matthews here uh and i think as a fit in this company i mean his style is is really perfect for it he was a great fit on, in, in new japan and uh he, he'd be a great fit for this division um I I love the uh, inverted Kamigoye stomp into the chair. It looks really cool. Combines, you know, his old move with a Seth Rollins stomp. And um, what about Pentagon uh, Obscuro? Uh, Penta Obscuro. Obs- yes. Obscuro, yeah. I, I mean, the the look is great. The entrance is awesome. But, you know, like, like with many of these sort of like uh, dual identity types of wrestlers, I don't know if I'm seeing enough difference in in-ring style yet between, you know, the, the regular Pentagon and, and, and this guy. So, um, remains to be seen. He did get the win, though. He did get the win on Malachi Black, so that was that was something. I thought and, he was going to bring back the arm break. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think the crowd would go pretty, pretty. The the difficulty with that arm break is that when they first introduced it, it was like the idea that like you've broken a guy's arm, and mm. to me, it's like it's got to be saved for when someone is going to go away for some time. And it got mm. it got silly at the times in Lucha Underground where some someone was back like the next week and recovered from the arm break. So it's like, you can't really just bust it out for no reason or else it's, it kind of loses its effectiveness. Mm, true. Uh, but th- this one way, I just see them waiting out until Phoenix is ready to come back in in the next month. And then we probably get like a big six man. Yeah. It's a loaded stable right now in the house of black. Th- they got these three and Julia Hart potentially. Potentially. Yes. Yes, so that that's where we can want. Maybe we'll get Abrahantis on one side, Julia Hart on the other. Mm, yeah, so, lot, lots to come. And then they they did put up the graphic that uh, Buddy is all elite. 
Cool. We got promos from Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. There will be a contract signing on Rampage and Baker mentioning that the lights out match, it never counted. So on paper, she's never lost to Thunder Rosa. And then Eddie Kingston's out for our face-to-face with Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. And Jericho comes out to Judas and Kingston has no time for the crowd singing along with this song. He's asking Jericho, why do we have security in the ring? And Jericho says he doesn't want to fight. He calls him a street thug. And Kingston is, he explains, I'm not a sports entertainer. And this isn't a sports entertainment company. Can we maybe get like Willow Nightingale and Chris Statlander out here to wrestle? And says, if you want a a sports entertainment company, go down the block. And that got a big reaction as this was their AW's first show in Connecticut. And Jericho is booed when he mentions Stanford. And He's going to tell Eddie Kingston a story. He is going to do some sports entertaining, but it'll actually be entertaining. And he says that when Eddie Kingston came to AEW, everyone in the locker room was so excited that he was here, except for him. He didn't know who Eddie Kingston was. He thought he thought maybe they meant Eddie Edwards was coming. And then he saw Eddie Kingston and realized, the reason I didn't know who you were is because you look like a jobber. Then I saw your match against... What's his name? You familiar with what's his name way? Um, yeah, I believe. Um, I believe I know what's his name. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't take this as any sort of like you know company direction, and just maybe more, more so Jericho kind of making. I'm light. sure this was Jericho just not naming the. He's not here. He's yeah. we're not doing anything with him. So why why drop his name? And I, and I think kind of smart because like you know mentioning Cody would. I, I think you know possibly lead to a, a chance or something that that might derail the the segment there was that chance like i i don't think it would have happened i think this was like a compelling enough segment but you you do run you you drop cody's name and um mm-hmm. yeah i guess there's yeah, that possibility focus away but i mean this this did anyway this could have also led to a cody chant if the if like mm-hmm. the fans like heard it but nonetheless there wasn't it wasn't no. like anything it was just what it was and then he after the match uh a very uh, hard-fought match with uh, what's-his-name prevailing. Uh, he heard Eddie Kingston's promo and realized this guy is really good. And he told Eddie, one day you're going to be a huge baby face. And I was right. Kingston was so great reacting to Jericho. He's yeah, in the corner just so taking good. this. So good. What's a baby face? Dude, Eddie Kingston was just tremendous here with his one-liners. Like just, The guy is just so quick on his feet. And Jericho continues and says how Kingston got over his physical and mental issues and signed a contract at the age of 38. And everyone was happy except me because I don't give two shits about your sob story. I know that you're jealous of me because it took you until you were 38 to make it big. I was in the big time at the age of 22. And he lists off all of the things he had done by the time he was 38 years old. He says, Kingston, you know you can't achieve what I have or be at my level. Kingston says, the reason you headlined in all these places, Chris, is because I wasn't there. I don't lie. I don't act like a carny. I do things my way, and I'm going to be me until I die. Do you want to fight at Revolution? Jericho's response, maybe the greatest response to any challenge in the history of pro wrestling, was not a yes or no to this fight at Revolution. He said, Eddie... Have you ever heard of the word achievemophobia? 
Eddie says, no, I haven't. I've got a GED. Dude, this place laughed. This was like the most genuine laughter you've ever heard from a wrestling crowd reacting to this. As Chris explains that achievemophobia, which I will profess I had never heard of and literally looked this up, is being terrified to make it to the top because you would fall instantly and your destiny is one of failure. I've read about your family's history, how your first hero was your uncle, and he was a failure. You believed in your own father. He turned out to be a failure. And deep down, you know you're a failure. Eddie, you can't win the big one. And in this company, I'm the big one. Not Moxley, not Danielson, not Punk, not even the AEW champion. I am. And he accepts his challenge for revolution. And if I lose to you, Eddie, I will truly respect you. And Kingston says, listen, Chris, at Revolution, I don't want the Chris Jericho that fell into a mimosa or fell off the cage at Blood and Guts. I want the one that won the AEW title, that gained the respect of my hero Tenru in war, that bled in Tennessee, that turned WCW upside down, and the one that your friend Paul Levesque hated. Because if not, if you don't bring that Chris Jericho, I'm going to eat you alive. And Jericho ends the promo saying, I have the same opinion as I know you do. You're a loser, Eddie. And you're never going to win the big one. Magnificent segment. Magnificent. Um, the MJF promo was great. And between that and this, I mean, you had really a stellar dynamite full of great speaking. And I think it's it totally dependent on maybe which one you relate more to. What do you want to say? Which one was the better? But they were both stellar um i thought this was absolutely great it felt incredibly organic and raw very loose not necessarily hey you talk i talk you know it felt like a conversation sometimes they were stepping over each other you had a lot of ad-libbing i think from from eddie kingston uh, mainly but like it felt real it felt like it was two masters who in the back just decided to go let's call it in the ring Except, you know, what they're, what they're calling is not a match, but but a, but a talking segment. It felt like there was so much reality in some of these words. Everything they said was believable. I, you know, Jericho, I think, hitting on the idea of jealousy being the reason why Eddie Kingston hates him so much, I think is wonderful because it's believable. So it seems like they are, you know, somewhat getting away from the Santana Ortiz angle of like, you know, like for this whole thing started because it was like Eddie Kingston claiming that, oh, okay, Santana and Ortiz, you've been holding my, my boys down, basically, Jericho. But they're getting away from that and getting a bit deeper. Jericho is, is asking, well, why why do you have such such a problem with, with something that's none of your business? It's because you're jealous of me. And then Jericho gets into the Players' Tribune article as a source of heat. And, you know, anyone who's read the article knows, I mean, how, what an accomplishment it really was for somebody like Eddie Kingston to be so publicly vulnerable with, with some of those sensitive topics and for Jericho to use that, to turn it on him in this promo. Um, immediately this crowd was, you know, the, like this, this feud really was, was made. I, I felt much like, you know, with NGF getting into some of that subject matter, I felt that there was a chance when Jericho brought this up that it could have been cringy, could have been distasteful if it was simply brought up for heat. But I thought Jericho was able to frame it and handle it in a way that felt like it was almost like a he was presenting a challenge for Eddie Kingston to overcome rather than just, you know, strictly bringing something up to, to put him down with. And and I feel like this this is, you know, this hero's journey that now we're all set on. Can Eddie Kingston overcome the challenges that he set up for himself, you know, um, that are very real for him? Eddie Kingston, you know, the, the article is titled, I got no fucking business 
being here. And Jericho is really the perfect opponent for him because Jericho's whole career has been the antithesis of that. Jericho is somebody who I think some would say has is overconfident, who has gotten to his position because he he calls himself the king of the world. You know, he he thinks he le champion. It's like it's it's bravado that that is almost like more than I mean, the guy absolutely deserves it, of course, but almost like he even takes it a step further. So it especially works because you saw Kingston sell like every single one of these lines as Jericho brings up each family member. You know, you 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 saw within Eddie Kingston how much he wanted to beat the shit out of this guy. So, man, I, I thought it was like a, a, a segment that I think not just elevated, of course, Eddie Kingston, but elevated Chris Jericho back into the conversation. You know, him bringing up um, him actually being the man ahead of Mox and Brian and Punk. And yeah, he's really kind of fallen by the wayside since those, since those guys have, have ascended. But a promo like this, it's going to make Eddie Kingston perform at his best, but it's also going to force Jericho to perform at his best because he's st- shit like GFY is not going to cut it. You know, when you're talking about an Eddie Kingston feud that demands re- real um, and and it's going to, I think, have to force Jericho to be, you know, that much more authentic, that much more gritty and m- more so than, you know, many of his opponents have demanded. Yeah, I, I thought that this was like, um, you know, it put j- just Jericho. I think it, the emotion you wanted is like by the end of this, you just wanted to see Eddie Kingston kick this guy's ass. And I think that's like such a strong dynamic to have coming out like that is the point of like a segment that you you want to pay to see this match you want to see this guy uh get his um get his comeuppance and and over and overcome his own inner issues yeah and and you also i think like that last face-to-face with kingston and punk was just so such a strong segment and i think you did want to differentiate this one and it was like they did kind of you know piggyback off like Eddie Kingston's look, for instance, but I think this one, it really zoned in on that Players Tribune article and going into um, different areas. I would have like since you did have the security there, I think for that reason, I think I would have wanted like just a bit more of a vision like when Jericho is dropping like lines about his uncle and his father. It's like you're expecting Eddie Kingston to punch this guy in the face and not have any kind of restraint that I think you would have wanted, like the security to be that literal barrier that it makes Jericho even more despicable that you have all the confidence to say something like that. When you have this protection and the pay-per-view you will not. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, visually I think it could have added to it for me though. Like, I don't know if you could have done much to make this even better. Like to me, it did hit that note where like, I I do want to see this guy beat the shit out, out of the other person. Uh, just strictly through their talking, so um, but yeah, I I definitely think there there were some you know you you could have improved it in, in a number of ways, but I thought they the, the note that they did, did hit was really high. Yeah, I I thought I thought Jericho was was very good here, just in terms of like having the confidence in everything that he's saying. Like this does not feel like someone that is just uh reciting lines to build up a program. Like he is bringing up all like like. Everything he said about Eddie Kingston coming in, I'm sure that is completely true. I'm sure that he thought, oh, are they talking about Eddie Edwards? Like, I, I think that, like, he is a guy that you know draws from real life. Like, that's that's the basis for his promos. Both of them. Both of them, yes. But mm-hmm. um, 
Anyway, so there you go. Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho, the latest addition to the pay-per-view. And then we got another match added because we go to the the AHF, the AHFO's official stairwell. And Sammy Guevara will be facing Andrade on Rampage on Friday. Andrade says he doesn't need anyone in his corner. And Matt's response is, let's have a Tornado Trios match at the pay-per-view with you, me, and Isaiah Cassidy against Sting, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allen." And I think Andrade was probably thinking, huh? Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. Like, I was so busy collecting my thoughts for that last segment. I I just decided to tune it this completely out. Um, I, I, I just didn't have time for the well, HFO's shenanigans. Well, we, we have a... All, all these... Uh, all these ideas about like the the TNT title picture. It's uh it's gonna be a trios tornado match, which will probably be um I guess it's 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 something. <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. It's Whatever, so dude. it's such a I don't weird... care. Like I just I want Jeff Hardy to come in, I want Matt Matt to team with Jeff. Great, sure. And I want Andrade to face Darby. That's it. Like let's 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 fuck off with the rest of this stuff. Ricky Starks and Preston Vance qualifying match for the face of the revolution match. Taz is on commentary. Uh, They went through the picture in picture. Uh, Vance applied the full Nelson, but then he released it to shove Starks into the corner. The announcers were not sure why he did that. So then he goes to reapply it. Starks pulls at the mask, breaks free, spears Vance, and he qualifies and is in the ladder match. So we have two team Taz members along with uh, powerhouse Hobbs in the match. Yeah, I would say the first um, non-super heavyweight to enter the match. And, and interesting that they decided to put Vance in the match because I mean, I would imagine maybe at least some people thought, oh, maybe Vance has a chance if they're going to go for an all-super heavyweight ladder match. But uh, no, it's going to be Starks, and it, it gives Team Taz the interesting man advantage. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you. Well, thank you. Michael Michael Cole. Adam Cole and Red Dragon were confronted by... I would love Red Michael Dragon Cole and Michael Cole in AEW. Hey, Michael Cole versus Paige. He couldn't be Michael Cole, though. Oh. I mean, it is his real name, is it not? No, it's Wait, not. it's not. You're right. No, no. They own Michael Cole? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he... What, what, what is his real name? It's like His last name is like Coltard. Is it Sean? Sean Coulter. Damn. Wow. That just doesn't work at all. (laughs) Well, uh, Adam Cole and uh, Red Dragon are confronted by the Young Bucks, who call that a double cross out there. O'Reilly says, I blacked out. The Bucks will have another chance next week, and they're motivated to win the Casino Battle Royale to kick their asses at the pay-per-view. And Adam Cole is all pissed that uh, the two teams are not getting along because he needs to focus on Hangman. So trouble in paradise. Jade Cargill and the Bunny for the TBS championship. Uh, Cargill worked over the arm and, and shoulder uh, early on. 
She was applying a hammer lock. The bunny hits this running strike to the neck and a Russian leg sweep, sending Cargill into the guardrail. They go through the break. Matt Hardy comes out. He's doing the delete mannerism at Mark Sterling. And then Bunny rakes the eyes, uh, gets caught and hit with a spine buster. And then Matt Hardy slides the brass knuckles to the Bunny. Sterling slides the TBS championship to Jade. And Jane, Jade knocks the brass knuckles away from the Bunny using the title. Hardy's ejected. And then there's a roll up by the Bunny. And when Jade kicks out, dude, this crowd was believing that the Bunny was going to end this undefeated streak. They went nuts for this near fall. I was stunned. It surprised me. And I mean, I, you know, I do preface that like, a lot of the match took place in commercial break, and mm-hmm. I, I just can't pay attention to, you know, a silent area of wrestling in a tiny box when I have, like, fucking players casino. Like, you know that ad, John? That oh, they dude, I, I, I can't. I, I, I've got to mute the commercials now because they play that same goddamn ad, like, 50 times during AEW. Like, it's, TSN has, like, an inventory of, like, six ads, and we get them nonstop, and that specific one yeah, is just, so it's, it's just alarmingly loud. It's aggravating. Yeah, yeah. And then Tony Bet, Tony Bet. I don't care about Tony Bet. <laughs> what about when George St. Pierre tells you to uh, that he plays to win? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, is God. it just like gambling sites that like you know play advert? I say this, and maybe we were running some of those ads on on our thing too. But God, like. I, anyway, that, that's all to say that like much of this match took place in commercial, and so it, they must have had quite the match during commercial break because when they came back, this crowd was really hot. So um, Jade kicks out. Uh, there's a super kick by the bunny, and she goes for down the rabbit hole. It's countered, hits Jaded, and she wins. It got got a big reaction for for the ending here. Twenty eight zero. And uh, Cargill retains the TBS championship. Uh, I'm not going to say this was like a stellar match or anything, but man, this this crowd really got into it. And the, the fact that they bit to such a degree on that near fall is an achievement here. Absolutely. Yeah. The, um, you know, again, I can't really comment on the match itself, but I mean, I can say if by the end it felt like a total success. And this crowd certainly sees Jade Cargill as a star. Shivani gets in the ring to interview Jade, who t- steals the microphone. Cut the shit, Tony. Who's next? Or should I say, who's left? And Ty Conti walks out and she says, I'm going to be the one that's going to beat your ass at Revolution. Comes into the ring, gets into her face, and then Bunny returns to attack Conti. And then uh, gets hit with the Ty KO and Jade lays her out with a pump kick. Anna Jay runs down with a chair to save her partner. And we have yet another match at Revolution. They were just flying uh, in terms of uh, match announcements on the show. They're now starting to, you know, put up in the on the screens um, every time Jade wins. I mean, um, you know, p- really promoting the fact that she's undefeated. So it's up to twenty eight and zero now. They are uh, making their own little Goldberg here and fully committing to it and not being afraid of, you know, the idea that one day she's not going to have this streak and w- what's going to be left. And I don't think they have anything to be afraid of because I think her star power is and her potential is big enough that, like, you know, it can. Ex- she's not going to be Ludwig Borga. Right. Um, but yeah, who, you know, you always have to think who, who, who's going to be the one to, to actually break it. Like if you had your, your pick of people on the roster, who could you see John right now? I, I mean, I, I, th- I think it should be somebody that is kind of when like so, some, someone on the rise, when you have somebody that is, you know, you're ready to really like, I would not put like a Baker or a Thunder Rosa or one of your established uh, women. And maybe they don't even have like a person in mind yet. It could be a very long time before we're looking at this. But it's going to make 
like just by doing this, like when she's on the cusp of getting to like 50 and 0 or 100 and 0, like mm-hmm. that's going to be a big deal that you can promote. It's it's the thing with like it, it's the UFC rule that you know, they just kept on with those numbers forever. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're almost at UFC 100. And the show was going to be massive just because of people's like just uh, amazement at like numbers that end in zero. And it's just like a, a great marketing trip trick. It's yeah. And I mean, actually, it's going to be a real legitimate counter of, about the number of matches that Jade Cargill has actually had. Yes. Is it not. Yeah. Like this, she's only had 28 matches and she's 28 and oh, I believe. So um, we'll be celebrating not just maybe, you know, a milestone in, in, in the streak, but actually in her actual career. Well, she's like a veteran compared to some of the, the NXT 2.0 people. Yeah. So then Marvez is with Keith Lee and starts and Hobbs walk in explaining that Team Taz runs things here. We don't care where you came from. It only matters what you've done here. So mind your P's and Q's. And Hobbs had a brief stare down and Keith Lee did not look impressed with these two. So obviously all of them will be part of the ladder match at the pay-per-view next weekend. Big rundown of the cards coming up. Rampage will have Orange Cassidy and Anthony Bowens in another qualifying match for the ladder match. Serena Deeb's five-minute challenge, the contract signing between Baker and Rosa, and Sammy Guevara against Andrade for the TNT title. Next Wednesday, Dynamite is back at Daly's place with the Casino Battle Royale and a six-man tag with Hangman, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against Adam Cole and Red Dragon. And then they made the announcement that uh, May 25th, There will be a live Dynamite and then a live Rampage on May 27th, both from Las Vegas at the Michelob Ultra Arena at Mandalay Bay, which will be Double or Nothing weekend. And Double or Nothing will be on Sunday the 29th at the T-Mobile Arena. So they are are moving up from the MGM Grand going to the T-Mobile Arena. So that's that's a, you know, as a giant arena that they are running. Yeah, uh so capacity. What what has WWE done there for T Mobile? Uh I I I don't know when the last time was that they ran T Mobile because the last time they were in Vegas they were at Allegiant Stadium. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. So yeah, this is not that one. But I mean it seems like oh basketball like eighteen hundred, boxing MMA about twenty thousand. So yeah, that's that's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, like like MGM is like eleven thousand, I think. So um but it's you know, it's a huge Vegas weekend. I think I think they're going to do well that that weekend. In Vegas. Curious about ticket prices because I mean, Vegas is sort of a, a place where you can get away with, you know, charging a lot. And um, AEW, I mean, it seems like they've undervalued undervalued their pay per views recently. And then the main event: Brian Danielson and Daniel Garcia. Uh, this match was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. Danielson and Garcia. This this was the most engaged I have ever been for a picture in picture. I was watching yeah. everything, dude. Right. Like I, I love this match. You were sitting through the uh, the bet more. Well, uh, I just bullshit. I I I hit mute and I'm just watching the match, so I don't right. have to listen to the ad. Right. So uh, it starts off as a butterfly suplex into an arm bar, uh, and just like great transitions here. Danielson is able to get him. To, he goes for the label lock, and Garcia prevents it by getting his hand up to prevent the crossface mm-hmm. and then is able to get to the rope and then chop blocks Danielson's knee. This is when they go to the break. Um, they continue to work on the ground. Danielson puts him up in the corner and dude rifles a kick into his chest and then another kick that just drills him. 
Um, chops by Danielson. Garcia catches the leg into a dragon screw, keeps going back to the knee. At one point, they're both like going for leg locks and they're in like 50-50 and nailing each other with heel strikes. Danielson is out, hits a tiger suplex, and from there moves to cattle mutilation. Garcia turns it over and reverts to an ankle lock. They engage in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, and while gripping one another, they're hitting each other with forearms. Dragon Screw gets blocked by Danielson, who in blocking it gets hold of the wrists and stomps down and then applies the triangle, putting Daniel Garcia to sleep. And and the triangle was an immediate like pass out yeah this was not like the struggle or checking the arm it's like it was locked he was out um i really yeah i really enjoyed that lee moriarty match this week last week but man this one was even better i i've this was one of my favorite tv matches in the longest time i just i love this match yeah yeah i mean um they had time you know they had how long was this John? Did you, did you get a time it was on, I, I didn't have the exact time here. Actually, Cena would have it in his report. It was like under 15. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, they did 10, 10, 10, 22, 10. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like, I mean, I think there, there definitely is a better version of this on pay-per-view or even, you know, at an indie show where they, they can go maybe 15 to 20 or possibly even longer. But for a 10 minute TV match, this was a, a very satisfying, a wonderful preview of what might be to come for in both of their futures. Um, I, I think it was just the type of wrestling that both men happen to excel at. You know, Brian Danielson, somebody who's just really re 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 I think um building perhaps his reputation in this style and Daniel Garcia who's built his reputation on this style and the two of them meeting together uh master versus student and and telling a very good master versus student story where the, you know, uh, maybe we could say uh, black belt, um yeah, I don't know, five five stripe um you know master uh manages to to defeat the perhaps purple um and yeah it was fantastic i love the finish felt very realistic and it's going to make that triangle feel that much more significant next time yes so brian danielson a main eventer 20 years after he headlined the very first roh show on a night when daniel garcia was three years old <laughs> jesus wow <laughs> ouch that's an insult to all of us who are alive then three years old yes. god damn I mean, um, Ju- Julia Hart was uh, all, was stop. zero. Stop, stop it she right was, now. She was like three months old. <laughs> oh God, stop it! Hey, uh, Chris Daniels was in the back. I bet was he not? Yes, also part of that main event. Yes, I I don't think Loki was probably on site, but uh, yes, yeah, Daniels would have likely been there. On that note, I mean, uh, Sean Rossap did report that Jonathan Gresham was backstage at tonight's show. Right. Yeah, and that's um that's a terminus tomorrow as well. Yeah, so I mean, obviously didn't make an appearance um, on the show tonight. So I don't know, makes you wonder. Yeah, certainly, it just seems like it's um, man. You just you just wonder where all these different people can fit in, and that's that that like that's the ultimate juggling act. Is Maybe just, he was just there to film footage for Terminus, like with Santana or something. I don't. Well, know. well, who knows? I'm I'm intrigued to see that match tomorrow with uh yeah Santana and uh and Jonathan Gresham on the uh the follow up to uh to Terminus. But um uh, before we we wrap this up, the the post match saw Danielson um get onto the microphone and said that's exactly what he wanted to see and asks was Garcia violent enough tonight? And before the crowd can answer, 2.0 jumps him. So John Moxley comes out, kills Lee and Parker, and Garcia has a chair from behind. And he goes to strike Moxley when Danielson stops him. 
And Moxley turns around, paradigm shift on Garcia, and then Danielson grabs the microphone, and they're just looking at each other as the crowd chants, this is awesome. And Danielson says, I don't need a chair to make anyone bleed, and accepts the match for Revolution, and tells Moxley not to be surprised if you're the only one bleeding. Yeah. So ready for this match. And, I mean, this card really is shaping up to be, I mean, really a must-see match. Yeah. You know. We should go over the card, I should say. Yeah, coming out of this, this is the updated card. So we now have eight matches for the pay-per-view. So it's pretty loaded at this point. Maybe like a a few small additions, but the bulk of the the key stuff is all there. So Hangman Page and Adam Cole for the AEW title. Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa for the women's title. Punk and MJF dog collar match. Jericho versus Eddie Kingston. Brian Danielson against John Moxley. The uh, triple threat for the AEW tag titles with Jurassic Express, Red Dragon, and whoever wins next week's Battle Royal. Keith Lee, Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, and then the winner of Cassidy and Bowens, and one more uh, member for the ladder match. And then Andrade, Matt Hardy, and Isaiah Cassidy against Sting, Sammy Guevara, and Darby Allin in a Trios Tornado tag team match. I think we know what match is going to be a part of the uh, the the pre-show uh, from that roster, you know, uh, unless it, you know, it could be a, a, a way to introduce a Jeff Hardy, I suppose, but it looks like a really, really stacked card. I mean, I'm assuming bucks will probably take that last spot. I, I think that's a given at this point, unless there is some extenuating storyline reason, but I can, I cannot see like, that's the whole angle is red dragon and the bucks. So yeah. I would think that's, that's the match. When you add that name on top of like, you know, a, a show that already has punk versus MJF and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, Page versus Cole. I, the thing is, Page versus Cole, like, it kind of feels like it's it's third from the top, you know, in terms of, like, you know, fan interest, I, I'll say. But still, that, that match is going to be awesome. Uh, Moxley and, versus... And probably Daniel. has to close the show. It's probably got to follow all of this. True, right. Mox versus Danielson. I mean, that, you know, that's totally amazing. And Jericho Kingston really taking a, a huge step up with that segment tonight. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh this is shaping up to be quite the card uh next next weekend. So there you go. That that was dynamite. I would say, you know, I I've really grown to uh not grown to, but I I just really enjoy these kind of last few episodes before the pay-per-view where we're getting all these big promos. Like Dynamite is a show that focuses on a lot of wrestling, but man, when you get promos at this level that we're getting on a, a weekly basis, like to me, that's that's the more significant stuff as you're getting closer to a pay per view is selling people on the matches and uh, or selling people on the matches and with these incredible promos that we're getting each week. Completely agree. I mean, that's the matches are are, are great, but like you 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 don't have success and you don't have you know full full-on promotion without great talking segments and i i mean this show really had a bit of everything great main event um two excellent in-ring speaking segments that are well worth your 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 time to view um and and really the rest of the show really coming together pretty decently let's read some feedback at forum.postwrestling.com we'll start off with shane mcdonough Hey guys, great show. I did think it was funny that Malachi Black was about to murder Penta with a shovel, but then totally abandoned using the shovel when Buddy Matthews showed up. I especially love the MJF promo segment, and I find myself rooting for him now. Do you think this is planting the seeds of an MJF turn, or just a one-off for this specific feud? Um, You know, we we discussed it pretty much during the the recap, but I... 
like long term, I certainly think that there's going to be a substantial babyface run for MJF. And I think with this one, it's like th- there's many different layers of where you you can go with this. Of where you could just like you introduce this story, and you don't have to necessarily like out it as being a lie from MJF. But now it's introduced, and the the character now has, as you put it, like this this origin story that you can still remain in the, this heel role, but now you've like introduced something. Or or there is um you know exposing this guy's uh life story as fraudulent for the benefit of the fans seeing him as just this absolutely despicable person that would would lean on such a story. Yeah, something is going to happen next week that I think will will really complete, you know, whatever the intent of tonight was. Um you know, you do, want do we get MJF's parents? They're gonna out him. <laughs> as the thing is, how do you like? What would that look like, though? He can, of course, say, "Yeah, I lied. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was never bullied. I was the one doing bullying." But I mean, that's after saying the stuff he said. That that I think would be really cheap, and I mean, like cheap in a way that that is almost distasteful for the show, right? Um. So I, you know, I, you know what he could really he could just go for for the jugular is when he says, "Punk, I wanted to become the best in the world to spite you." To an obsessive degree that I put out a tryout video for Tough Enough. Oh, my. Have you seen that? Uh, I don't know. Was it? This is when they did. It was the year the when they brought back Tough Enough in 2015. No, no, no. 2015. The one when uh, when Hogan got uh, removed from the show. He he cuts this awesome promo and they did not pick that guy for for Tough Enough. Uh. Did yeah, you're right. Okay, MJF, you mean? Yeah. Yes. I thought you meant Hogan. <laughs> no, no. I don't. I don't know if Hogan would get onto tough enough. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That might be such a deep cut that I'm. I'm not even aware of. Um. But anyway. So yeah. I, I mean, I. I. It, it's interesting. You know, Shane. Like Shane says, hey, I want to root for MJF now, and I don't. I don't, I don't think you're the only only one feeling that way. And was that the intent? Ultimately, this has to lead to a match where I think you're supposed to want to want to see CM Punk beat MJF. So tonight's direction was was totally, uh, totally caught me off guard, and I'm excited to see how they you know change course back to the direction that they were going next week. All right, we go to Johnny Sanchez who says, "All right, the show tonight was fantastic, but I'm just going to focus on the main event." This is how you built the future. While Daniel Garcia lost, he was shown to be somewhat equal, same as Lee Moriarty last week. This is basically youth versus experience. The only reason they lost is because of the experience that Danielson has. Danielson might be winning, but he is spotlighting his opponents and trying to get most audiences to see what he does. The future is bright for the younger talent. We are two months in, and Danielson seems to be my lock for wrestler of the year if he continues with these matches. What wrestlers do you want to see Danielson work with? I really want to see that Gresham match with each passing week. Yeah, but I I also wouldn't want to just throw that one out cold. I would want to do some like uh build up for it. Um I, I've gotta say, the the best the best long term story is Brian Danielson, who has come back and reclaimed his own award in the Observer Awards after Zack Saber Jr. had overtaken that award. <laughs> Completely. Absolutely. Yeah, he tweeted about it too. Feels nice. Oh, to, did he? To him. Danielson yeah, or so. Zach? Danielson. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, very deserved, honestly. Um, but I mean, obvi- I mean, that to me is, is probably the dream match um, 
of, of anybody I'm looking forward to the most is, is Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson on a big enough stage. But who else was it that Danielson mentioned in that promo besides, you know, um, Garcia and Moriarty? Um, I, I can't remember all the names off the top of my head beyond those two. Right. I but mean, I mean, it, I'm assuming it's somebody of a similar style, you know, more ground based. So maybe, maybe Moxley's going to bring in a uh, Umino. Uh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's continue on with Vic here. Seeing the super villain origin story of MJF was as awesome as any comic book villain. It all makes sense now why his character is such a terrible person. This whole feud has been next level, and the thing I'm enjoying most in wrestling. Is Jericho picking up the Cody delusional heel gimmick, but actually being a heel? He'll be good in the role as long as he commits, unlike Cody did. What a waste of Sting, Darby, and Sammy at the pay-per-view. Just do a triple threat match and call it a day. Matt Hardy shouldn't be featured in a match at a pay-per-view unless he's being fed to Hook or teaming with Jeff. Well, yeah. I, I don't think Jeff will be available by by March six. Oh, think. he won't. What's his What's his didn't, date? Didn't we do this last week? I think it's like March 9th is his ninety days. Okay, so the week after, or the Wednesday the, the after. Wednesday after, right? Right. Okay. Uh, all right. Unless unless you know, like somehow the release was announced after the actual release date. Um. I think like the math was like done from like the day it was like it was confirmed he was released where the 90 would would, would start. But but but, did, but was the confirmation date the date of actual release or is there a possibility like behind the scenes he was released quietly? I mean, as I recall, it was like the, the house show was like a Sunday and it was like reported, I think, like the next day. Oh, so okay. I, I don't I right. don't I don't think there was more than like a day of like lag time between the house show and the release. Okay, gotcha. All right, we end things off here with Muggin, who says this was another good step forward towards revolution. The Kingston Jericho War of Words was captivating. Jericho being the de facto heel and going somewhat meta by using Kingston's real life challenges intensified their feud. Danielson Garcia is another dope main event and another career highlight in Garcia's meteoric rise. Was NJF being completely truthful to Punk to lower his guard? The emotional content did enhance the promo. It was well done. Matthew's debut was solid, and Malachi Black's reaction told everything about their history with a single look. The opening battle roll was messy, but it got better when the field got to the home stretch. Buck's Red Dragon tension is coming to a head, and Cole is going to have to pick a side. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, uh, for the feedback. I-, I think like the MJF thing was probably the most... Um uh intriguing thing because because everyone is left with like that question that's the question they want you to have you are supposed to have that uh that lack of uh or multiple ways to read the promo so i thought i thought that was like a real big hit providing it's um you it's know paid off like yeah it, it's paid off and that it, it does make like because you know you were going down like this solid path and everything was clicking and you have like added a lot of depth to it and hopefully that does not uh you know, that doesn't, uh, you know, take it off course or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was Dynamite. And that is the end of the show. We're going to be back on Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern time chatting all of the latest news uh, coming out of today. What do you think we'll be talking about tomorrow? Hmm. Um. I'm sure there are some stories that we, we didn't necessarily get to maybe you know maybe we'll want to talk i mean maybe jeff hardy maybe at this point like if he is coming to can aew even announce him if his 90 days aren't aren't up <laughs> i i don't know how the, how that how that all works but um yeah they're like maybe, i don't maybe, think we'll see a graphic or anything but i'm sure that'll be part of the talk uh for sure so in the meantime 
Go check out postwrestling.com. News dropping every second. And yes, we will chat with you on Thursday. Uh, reminder that uh, coming up uh, this weekend, uh, we'll see the return of the NWA podcast with Nate, Chris, and Andrew Thompson. Uh, looking forward to hearing from all three of those uh, coming up this weekend. And speaking of Andrew Thompson, we have the latest edition of Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure coming out tomorrow on the British Wrestling Experience feed. He will be joined, of course, by co-host Martin Bushby as they welcome Eric Marcotte Huge. to talk Sudbury's finest, to talk about Brett the Hitman Hart, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, the DVD release and documentary from, uh, what year was it, John? 2005 that they put this one out. This was the project that was originally going to be screwed. The Bret Hart story. And then Bret got on board with WWE and everyone logged into WWE.com that day to see Vince McMahon and Bret Hart shaking hands in a WWE studio. And then the project took a, (laughs) took a 180 and uh, came out and ended up being uh, one of the best DVDs that the company ever put out. Mm -hmm. And I mean, (laughs) Between Andrew and Eric, um, I'm, I'm assuming both were two when that DVD actually came out. So uh, we're going to get a you know look back from both of those those men who um, may be experiencing much of this just strictly off of the DVD and not not in per, um, when when Brett's actual, actual career was active. All right, so that show, uh, subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience feed. You will get that show on Thursday. Uh, so that's it for us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in live or downloading the show afterwards. You're, you're all tremendous people. Goodbye. <laughs>